Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan and Bruce Backman here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com. And Bruce, as we promised the audience last week, we are post-Israeli election, and it could be, it could be the end of the BB era. It could be. It could be. But I still, I still, I always, it's like betting against black. I don't bet against them. I, he's he the Kahol Lavan could have four or five more seats in Bibi, but they're still not going to be able to form a government because the, Lieberman's not going to sit with Arab parties, and if Lieberman's not going to sit with Arab parties, it's either a coalition government that Bibi's a part of in some capacity, um, or it's or or Bibi finds a way to bring Lieberman in at some point. I just I mean Lieberman may hate Netanyahu, but I can't imagine he he'd be willing to go with the Arab parties in place of that. I would agree with that. I don't think he is. I mean, let's let's just talk about where I things... I mean, how could the Arab parties even sit with him with the things that he says? I mean, be realistic here. The Arab parties have a lot of rules. The fact they're, quote, interested to go into the government, like, how you know, we're, everybody's waiting for them. I mean, their, their demand list is the only people who would be eager to take that demand list is probably Ehud Barak. I mean, I can only imagine what their demands are. Ehud Barak, who, of course, did not make it in to the... That was to, my to, point. ...to this Knesset. But, but let's... I no, get, but that's my point. I mean, right, who, let's who, back, else is, who else is going to take him in? I mean, who else would want that? Let's back up for a second, because first of all, I want to say that all the predictions were that this was going to be a lower turnout election, that Israelis were done, they were exhausted, they didn't want to have a second vote, they were frustrated, a pox on all their houses type of thing. It ends up that the turnout is even higher than the... Uh, election back in April. That's number one. Number two is... Depends with who. The turnout was very high amongst Arab voters. Yeah, but I uh, know. But overall, I'm overall, saying... Overall I mean, turnout... Arab was the real surge. Yeah, so this is, where, this is where things stand right now. And this is really should be the envy of... I mean, if only... Um, Jews in America here would vote along in as much numbers as Israelis do. Um, we would be able to have, have a significant more political clout, but even more than we currently do, and we'll do, we can debate that at a different time. But this is where things are. Overnight, it seems Kachov Lavan uh, added another seat. They are now two ahead of Likud, 33 to 31. to 31 for Likud. The joint list... The Arabs got together as opposed to last time. They got together 13 seats, which was a. They say that the turnout amongst uh, the Arab community spiked from less than 50 to over 60 percent, which is obviously a big number, and that means that they could be doing even better if they would vote. Uh, Shas nine seats, uh, UTJ eight seats, Lieberman now down to eight seats. Uh, had been nine yesterday. Yamina seven, which is a surprise, I think, for a lot of people. Um, I think what you know. What, Why? Why would you say that's a surprise? Well, I think the combined Yamina, the combined uh, of of those parties was was higher. Was you know was thought to be higher. And at a certain point, when Shaked took over, they were looking at maybe 10, 11 seats. Uh, Shaked is a very you know. If Shaked was the head of Likud per se, I mean, she's Shaked is. She very, wanted to be. She did want to be. And actually, mean, some people want her. To, still want her to be. The, but, I mean, if Ayala Chaked was the head of the Likud party, um, it's very likely that the Likud would be winning more votes. I mean, Ayala Chaked is very popular in, of all places, Tel Aviv. Yeah. Um, so she has a very interesting following, generally speaking, across Israel. Right. But the question is, do are they going to attract 
non-religious voters to that party, and clearly it seems that they didn't. Um, Labor, which is, you know, again, another, you know, another story in and of itself, six seats. Meretz, which is really the Democrat, which is also known as Eid Barak's party or the Democratic Party of Israel, uh, is five seats. Uh, Also, you know, also a merger of multiple uh, factions. Labor was also a merger of Labor and Orly Levy, uh, her party. So, Overall, the right, looking at 55, if you include uh, the two Haredi parties, Mm -hmm. the left, including the Arabs, looking at 57. Um, And that, uh, so really nobody has uh, any, and Lieberman right in the middle of those because he hasn't, he said he will only be in a unity unity government. Uh, I'll I'll make two comments and turn it over to you. Mm -hmm. One thing is is that Likud... Mm -hmm. The made obviously made the bet and rolled the dice after they couldn't form a government last time. Mm-hmm. BB usually rolls the dice and wins. Okay, here he rolled the dice and he clearly lost. Okay? I don't know if he lost. I'm, I'm, no, no, no. I'm just hear me he out. Rolled the dice hear me out. He hear me out. Hear me out. Got to hear me out. What I'm saying on he lost. I was saying is we could had 30, uh, 30 plus seats last time around. What was the exact? I don't remember the exact number. It was okay, pretty close. Okay, but he took in Moshe Kachlon, who had four seats. Okay, he took in Zahut. You know, to his to his thing. So they came in, and they almost had four seats last time around. So really, he should be in the upper thirties. Correct. If, if if you take the votes for last time around, and he's ending up with thirty one. So but there's, there's clearly, clearly, but there's clearly a vote in Israel that is right wing that doesn't really like Bibi. Oh, no question about that. But what there's I'm a saying, right wing voter that doesn't like Bibi. So while they may have gone to Cologne, they may have gone to Zahut. Now they're going to Yamina, who you know, or they, or they, or they've gone to Kahovalavan. I mean, there's really, a lot of distrust. There's, there's, there's a lot of distrust, right and I think so. I think the you know sometimes, and this is the same case I think with with labor, with their merger, and with the Democratic with Merits together with Ehud sure. Barak and uh, um, Stav uh, Shafir, and you you put the, these and with Yamina, you put these little coalitions together, and you think the whole is going to be greater than the sum of the parts. It's never worked that and way. It, it's in fact, it's actually the quite quite the opposite. It's like it's like people obviously like Moshe Kachlon, and when they turned around, and maybe a lot of probably a lot of his voters were Sephardi, mm-hmm. and it seems that probably a lot of them went to Shas, and some of them probably went to vote for Lieberman. So, and some of them may have voted for Yamina. Correct, and I've, some of them may have stayed home. Co- correct, as I'm saying, exactly. So, so folding some of these in, you know, taking Kachlon into the Likud was a net loss for Likud. Okay, right. that's what you say. So in the in the end, and that's so that's but one also of the, the uptick in the Arab parties also changed the dynamics of how the seats are being apportioned. I mean, you can't really. I mean, there's ways of looking at it from how many seats you're getting, and then you look at total vote numbers. And when you look at total vote numbers, you see an uptick from fifty percent to sixty percent, and you see this huge uptick in Arab parties. I mean, that's gonna they're pulling seats from other people too. Yes, I I am impressed. The other thing is with the resiliency of the Haredi parties. And their ability to just turn out their votes. Look, UTJ. Are they really turning out their votes? How? What's the ratios of them turning down? I'm asking. I don't know. Oh, in some of the cities, you you look at like, um, it, it, you know, Bnei Brak, Kiryat Sefer, which is Modinuli, which is sure. a city of fifty something thousand people. Uh-huh. I think the voter turnout there is close is is somewhere between eighty five and ninety percent. It's remarkable. Beitar, similar, eighty percent. You look at these two places that are and quite large, and. 
The interesting thing is, of course, that UTJ really doesn't have any base beyond the Haredim, as opposed to Shas, who get, can get traditional Sephardim. And to vote for it, they also have a social welfare mm-hmm. agenda. But UTJ really doesn't have the ability to reach out beyond its its own base. No. And they just they were able to turn out votes once again um, quite remarkably because a lot of people predicted that they were going to go down from 8 to 7 to 6. And the higher turnout overall was going to hurt them. It looks like they're going to be okay. So, look. You know, there are all kinds of permutations that we can come up with here. The one thing interesting, of course, is now BB is saying he wants a unity government, which he didn't say before. And yesterday he was saying that he wasn't going to form. So now all of a sudden, so now we're seeing things, you know, now in play. The other thing I'll throw at you and then I'll turn it over uh-huh. is that Jason Greenblatt is apparently who is on the way out, as we uh-huh. know, is, the, is on the way to Israel. He's going to meet with Benny Gantz. So... Trump yesterday was asked whether he was asked by reporters whether he spoke to BB yet. He said no. And interestingly, he said, our relationship is with Israel. So I guess a lot of people are expecting that there might be some changeover. That was a very good statement, but that's also what every president is supposed to be saying at this point. They're not supposed to sway when the election results happen. I mean, everybody expects Trump to say something otherwise, but that's the standard politically diplomatic answer that every U.S. president and every head of state would ever give in such a situation. Um, my, my, my position, I don't have a position per se, but my feeling on this, why don't we just go with opinion instead of position? Well, Well, let's do that. Okay. I don't go with, I I, I don't count BB out of anything. I think BB's still smarter than everybody else. And I, and I want to make this statement because this is something I was telling friends of mine. I spoke to a friend of mine who's a former IDF soldier who, who now is up and, you know, he still works within the IDF in Israel, even though he's, you know, in his early thirties and, um, he stayed on. And I was telling him, I said, you know, a lot of people may not like Bibi and, you know, his personal behavior, the way he carries himself, the scandals, his persona, you know, some things he says. But some members, some members of his family, some members of his family. No one, his wife isn't very popular. Well, I just say she has been the cause of friction with many of the other with Lieberman, with 100%. Bennett, with Shaked. I mean, I heard it from people years ago. That she no, it's undeniable. It's not a, it's a fact. Yeah. You know, however. Israel is a very complex place to run in a very complex time, in a very complex place. And I just don't know if his competitors are up to it. And I think that while people may be frustrated with Bibi, you know, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. I don't think this is the last you've heard of Bibi, just like it wasn't the last you heard of Bibi in the 90s. Um, I just feel that the country right now needs a Bibi to run it. You know, economically where Israel is now to where it was before he became involved and he you know he came home to run and then to be run fix up the economy and stuff people are living much better lives there today in so many ways yeah we and talked about that they're, there's they're tired of him you know I always say they got rid of Winston Churchill after he won World War two um, and there were people who didn't like certain things about Churchill as well I'm sure but BB is the only person who I feel whether I like him or don't like him is capable of actually running the country day to day and I'm not really sure that this Gantz, you know, hodgepodge coalition with people who don't agree on anything, then putting Lieberman in the mix, and then you need the Arab parties or you need the Haredim to cut, which I don't see the Haredim cutting, even though Shas could, uh, they're more likely to, but I just don't see anybody else able to run the place. I, and I think that there's a lot of Israelis who are frustrated with Bibi and they're trying to send him a message, but... You know, if you take the Arab parties out of the mix, the country is definitely a center-right to right-wing-leaning country politically today. Oh, Take no... the Arab parties out of the mix. I mean, the left doesn't really have more than 
I mean, they're, they have barely any support, really. 20 years ago, the left, meaning Meretz together with labor, was a... Powerhouse. Was a, was a majority coalition in and of itself. And nowadays, I mean, you're, you're talking about 10 mandates, 10 seats total. For, yeah, the, for the, both of those parties, the country's not there, and there's a lot of people who are voting for blue and white who just don't like BB also. And but blue, let's and remember, educated. blue and white is not a left wing party. No, it's the not. people, the uh, many of the particularly leaders of blue and white would normally have found their home in Likud, if not for personal issues, issues that BB. they've had with the prime minister. So that's um, no question about that. Yes, I'm not saying entirely there's a, there's some a, of them. And then for Orthodox Jews, and this is a, a real thing for, you know, for as a from person, as an Orthodox Jew who lives in New York, I have certain, you know, proclivities when it comes to politics. But there is a lot of hate in the vote, in the anti-BB vote against Orthodox Jews in Israel. And a lot of it is very uncomfortable and very distasteful and very not deserved in many regards. Um, yeah, there's frustration with service in the army, and there's frustration with Haredim, I suppose, in certain Haredi communities. But overall, some of those parties are terribly anti-religious. I mean, we never speak about it on this show, but that whole court case about the concert in Afula, where they went to court over, was, was, was disgusting. I mean, that's a disgusting thing. I mean, nobody would ever push to do something like that in New York. And, and there's there's a lot of support in some circles for those kinds of things. And the scary thing, I think, for Orthodox Jews in Israel is if the Orthodox parties don't end up making part up, making up part of the government, I'm not really sure what's in store for a lot of them when it comes to yeshiva education funding and other facts and matters that, you know, Sabbath observance in some towns and cities. Yeah, some people may be bothered by it, but these are major changes in Israel, some of which are 60, 70 years old. Yeah, but you're going to talk about a block between Shas and UTJ of 17 seats. That's a big number. If, let's just say that they are left... I don't see a scenario by Lieberman joining anything with them. I'm not sure where Lieberman goes. And, you, you know, one thing we know about Israeli politicians, they've always been pragmatic when it comes down to it, forming government. If they were pragmatic, I, Lieberman wouldn't have made... what Lieberman would have gone in the government I, last well, time. Well, I didn't say Lieberman is pragmatic. I'm talking about in general. I mean... Lieberman was offered everything. He got everything he wanted. I, that's what I'm saying. I've been saying Lieberman is pragmatic, but I imagine that Gantz is going to be a little... is, is a little bit... But we'll see. I mean, it could be... Gantz they could be pragmatic, but Gantz's base of support hates Bibi, so but I'm Gantz, not really sure how that works. Right. Well, I agree with you. So Gantz... If, let's say, Gantz goes with Likud, they don't even need Lieberman. Lieberman's base of support doesn't hate Bibi. Right. Lieberman hates Bibi. So so let me let, let me go back for a second because I think it's actually just to talk about um, turnout, right? I mentioned Modine Elite before. 84.5% turnout, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, of those votes, of the 22,600 that voted, because it's, is, Israel, the website actually will break it down by specific yeshuv mm -hmm. so you can see where things go, okay? 18,200 go to UTJ and 3934 go to Shas. And, uh, you know, you have uh, almost no votes for anybody else in those places. Um, that's, um, you know, but let's, you know, take some other, um, you know, some other places like Tel Aviv, for example, right? Tel Aviv, Yafo, it's one municipality. Okay. Overall, 62% turnout. Okay. 260,000 votes. 111,000 of those, 111,500 go to Kachova Lavan. 49,674 go to the Likud. Okay, and thirty-seven thousand um, go to the Democratic uh, camp. Eighteen thousand to uh, okay. So you 
tremendous in Tel Aviv Yafo, tremendous support essentially for the center left um, there versus the rest of the country. But then you take um, Yerushalayim. Sorry, just scrolling back for a second because I think you know, as you're saying, that the country is a little bit is everywhere, right? You have different no it's like every country where there's different pockets of support you know for certain political parties some historic and some based on issues right but the difference of course in when it comes to israel right that things are everything's proportional so everybody's vote kind of counts in a way overall in the overall mix it's as opposed to here as opposed to here when you have districts when you have this right i can be in a red if i'm in a blue district there's a catch okay the catch is is that it is very difficult to govern, and it ends up at the end of the day not being so quote in keeping with them. It's unwieldy. I, I agree. Unwieldy. I agree. Honestly, it's a bad political. Let system. me give you the let me finest give... political systems in the world are the UK, the United States, and Canada, what? and the I, the Israeli system is a joke. Is the UK doing such a great job with their political system right now? I don't know. That's a little. You bit, know what? Uh, the UK has a system by which we probably you can should form get a government. To, we probably should get to Boris Johnson in a second. Uh, I love Boris. Johnson. Okay, but let's go to Yerushalayim for a second. I've always loved Boris because I think Yerushalayim is very interesting. The highest vote getter. Who would you guess? Which party would be the highest vote getter in Yerushalayim? You would think it's BB. Okay, UTJ actually. Okay, 63% turnout. United Torah Judaism, of the 260,000 votes cast, gets sixty almost 65,000 of those votes. That's amazing. That's amazing, right? Likud is 60,000, under 60,000, almost 60,000. Okay, Shas, 41,000. This is in Yerushalayim. Kachovel Avan, 30,000. Yamina gets 23,000 of those. The Democratic camp, which is uh, Meretz, etc., 9,300. Um, of those, really? so it's, where those people live. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's you know that's pretty that's pretty remarkable when you think about it. Um, with uh, that that the highest the the Haredim totally dominated the vote. You know where the most interesting votes are in the suburbs, the ring around Tel Aviv. Well, pick one. I'll, well, let's let's discuss it for a I second. I mean, Cholon is a, is Bibiville, all those kinds. You mean of the places. southern suburbs? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Let me give you one. Even more. some, even some of the, not uh, not between up to Haifa. No, Haifa's not. But um, as you're going towards Jerusalem, you'll see that's all Bibiville. Let me Bibi's, go. Bibi's, Bibi is like the he has bases of support in places where where quote regular Israeli families live. Well, you go to let's let's go to Cholon. I mean, for a Tel second. Aviv is not regular Israeli family. No, no, certainly, elite? certainly not. Certainly, it's completely unaffordable. Very expensive. I mean, you go, certainly go to you know, it's place like, like Manhattan. Tel Aviv is Manhattan, and you know, some of those neighborhoods are like Staten Island, and it's different. Okay, let's go to Cholon then. Okay, Cholon. Okay, sixty, almost sixty-four percent turnout. A total of ninety-six thousand votes. Mm-hmm. Um, and wow, one hundred fifty thousand. Voters, ninety six thousand votes. That's a pretty lot. That's pretty nice. Um, thirty five, almost thirty six thousand goes to Likud. Kachovalvan mm-hmm. though, mm-hmm. thirty thousand in Cholon. It's still places that's, where BB is. I understand, ahead. but that's a that's an interesting number because we would think right. that the Southern Shabbat, you know, generally go, um, you know, in that way. Um, I'll give. Let's give one more. I think which is also instructive. I saw before, which is Ashdod. Um, I don't remember the exact numbers. But if you break it, you, you could see... Ashdod is a place Lieberman would do well. I should, certainly should do well, as well as Likud should do well. But uh, yeah, what was the, what were the actual numbers? Um, give me one second. 
could really pick apart Israeli. On the top of you could really pick apart Israeli what about society. A lot? Sixty-five percent in uh, voted in Ashdod. Very high number. Okay, mm-hmm. Likud of the of one hundred thirteen thousand total votes, Likud gets thirty-five thousand. Mm-hmm. Yisrael Beitenu, as you mentioned, twenty thousand. Kachov Lavan, eighteen and a half thousand. Shas, sixteen thousand. UTJ, thirteen thousand. In Ashdod. Okay, and you want and you want to know about a lot, which yeah. is totally removed from a lot of the country. Um, uh, let's just see for a second. Nobody voted. Everybody's at the beach. I, I certainly could be. <laughs> certainly could be. Okay. Uh, 40, 45% turnout. Look how much lower that is. That's really remarkable. 45% turnout. 22,000 voted. Of those, Likud gets 9,400. 9, okay. Kahol gets 6,200. Interesting. Very interesting. Very That's interesting. an interesting place because a lot when you get there is a world unto itself. Yeah. It's so far removed from the other, from the rest of the country. Not only far removed, the lifestyle, the, the terrorism fears, everything in a lot is just the interesting. Another different. interesting thing that I saw when I was looking at a number of diff, you know smaller communities, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you take them and the ones that are not religious, um, small kibbutzim and moshavim, mm-hmm. as opposed to here in rural America, mm-hmm. people tend to be very right wing. They're extremely left wing. Well, that's I know it's a heritage of kibbutzim yeah. and and everything, but like it's almost as if labor still has their support, and that's it. You know, it's I mean, the, most of those places are, have socialist tendencies. I mean, it would it's naturally a lot of those smaller sense. rural places are are you know, but that's an interesting phenomenon. So look, we, we do, this is kind of part two of the election. This is when the, actually the real election kind of starts. That's the starting point. Now we figure out how to go ahead and. You know, build that coalition. I don't, I, just, I don't know what they're going to end up doing. Obviously, I'm not in Israel. And I I'm don't not. see how they can go to a third election, though. No, I don't see them going to a third election. And I think a national unity government will be good f- to a certain degree for the country. But I do know that you know the Haredim are going to try to make their way into a government. But of course they are. But at the same time, Lapid and company, I, I just don't see it. I mean, the, the, I, I see Lapid being more comfortable going with the Arab parties than going than going with the. With the I don't know. Lapid's not a is not a left winger in the end. He's but not a left winger, but he has a like much you know much like his father, the disdain for all for for Haredi Jews is real. Yeah, well, it's let, a real it's a real disdain. Let me um, let's just talk for one second. I think why it's important that Kahol Lavan might have gotten that extra seat. Now the gap is two. Mm-hmm. Now Rivlin might have to go with. Gantz and allow he him will, to... but I don't see how Gantz can form well, the government. I mean, we'll, let's see. I mean, let's see. But it, a lot of that will depend, know. and that's probably why people uh, at this let's, point let's, let's is be going realistic. Yeah, they form a government with 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 Lieberman and the Arab parties. Let's let's just assume that Tanyahu is left out. I doubt. I doubt that'll happen. But let's say that Lieberman is not going to sit with the Arab. Correct. Parties. I think that that's a lot of things. His just, base will not go. So for where that. where's the party coming from? Yamina is the only other group that's on the fence, but I can't see them going. With I could see Amina going with Gantz. You could potentially, and why? then merits and all the left wing no, parties leave. No, they're right. What? what why? Where's the numbers? Play with it. It doesn't. They're missing a few pieces. They're, well, I can't see merits sitting with Yamina. And you know who knows where Labor really is. Whether they have anything. I mean, Amir Peretz. You know who knows? It's whatever. Who who knows where they go? It's hard to. It's hard to. Labor's 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 for labor and not. But I mean the the merit. Now merits isn't going into a right wing government. That's correct. for sure. The voters won't stand that. Look. We'll have to see. I mean, we'll see. We don't, maybe by next week it'll all be solved. So well, let's, I, mean, I don't know if it's ever going to be solved. Maybe this is one of those things that Mashiach has to come for. Right. Well, so you have to, as we wind down, I want to just talk for a second. As, nothing about Justin Trudeau? 
you know, I don't know whether blackface and brownface really are the same. It seems like a ridiculous thing, but you know, it is. I just want to acknowledge. Something. Oh, you are Canadian, so let's give you a second. And I'm allowed to. Well, I'm American today, but I I am Canadian. I was born in Canada. Um, it's the I don't I, the whole. I have friends calling me. Yes. Oh my God! Did you see what the prime minister did yesterday? He's making a joke of Canada. I can't believe it. He in blackface. It's so wrong. This is a, this is. I said first of all. And I don't like the Prime Minister of Canada at all. Um, it was an Aladdin Arabian Nights theme party. He wanted to be like Aladdin. It's offensive what he did. It has nothing to do with anything. The whole world is up in arms. He's an idiot, the Prime Minister, uh, to a certain degree. But at the same time, I mean, it's just ironic how how if a Republican... I mean, this goes to the classic hypocrisy of left and right. That if if a Republican were to do that, when he was 14 years old, it's death on arrival. And, you know, when the left does things like this, they're running around looking for excuses and hiding from commenting on it. I mean, they just won't. I mean, the double standard just doesn't end. I mean, he's not going to go down. He may not even lose re-election because of it. And he's going to get a pass from almost everybody if he hasn't already. And it's just frustrating for conservatives because we're held to a higher Nothing standard. Nothing sticks. Nothing sticks. Look at the governor of Virginia. He's still sitting And look there. at Brett Kavanaugh. Well... That's true. But let's... I mean, Brett Kavanaugh, back the, the, the New York Times wrote an article about him. And, was, and then neglected to, to... To acknowledge that there's no recollection of the actual incident by the person who allegedly un, had it happen Truly to. unbelievable. It's a not farce. really unbelievable. A farce. No, actually. because cause at the end... For, now, now, the article itself was interesting, and I read it. Okay, but, but, but it's, it's not... Once you take away the underpinning of the article, it's, it's just noise. It's not anything. Uh, well, I mean, the New York, but the noise is is that right now that there's less abortions. This is a big number for people who are interested in this issue. There are less abortions in the United States last year than there has been, I think, in twenty or thirty years. Abortion is on the down, is on the decline. There's a fight with Planned Parenthood with their former head, who said that you know she wanted it to be more of a women's health organization and less of an abortion provider. They wanted to sign forms. They're going to court. It, it's very nasty what's going on. <laughs> There's a very big, you know, Trump is very pro-life, the most pro-life president in history, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of changes going on in society, and I think that there's a certain nervousness in some parts of the left where anything they can do to, you know, preserve the the right, um, is done without any consequence and without any fear and without any repercussions. I'm, I'm not even. I think that's a good statement. Um, let's talk first. I'm sorry to go off, but it's a no, no, not at all, not at all. But I, but we, issues, as we close out, we got to talk about. I want to talk about Iran, and I just want to talk specifically about uh, Lindsey Graham, and I think correctly mm -hmm. um, challenged the president this week and said, had we responded to the drone strike, we probably would not have emboldened Iran, or we would have deterred Iran. I think that's the right way to say it from attacking the Saudi oil rig. And of course, the president. How, by the said, way, just oh wait, wait a second. The president. How do you know that? We don't know that. This is a president, but it is similar to a red line, right? I mean, if somebody shoots down your drone, you go ahead and respond. I mean, that's at least my feel, my feeling. And I think Iran thinks that they can get away with it. But the interesting thing, of course, that it's Lindsey Graham, then the president, and the president said, essentially, of well, we, you know, we deterred them. You know, we sent towards there, but not not everybody knows the. What exactly what we did? I, I remember the exact language, but you know, one of the things I think that if you're losing Lindsey Graham, if the president's losing Lindsey Graham on the issue, and you know, and clearly, obviously, John Bolton's out there 
you know, knocking the president on a you know on a regular basis. Maybe if it's in private, you know that you buy you and I about the I I'm fine with the president not going to uh, ignoring Iran as much as like ignoring him, ignoring ignoring, not jumping at every not not going for the bait all the time. No, I actually support it. I do not want to see the United States go into more wars, and I'm not a big believer that every time that Iran does something, it needs to be met with something of of strength that's going to lead to the committing of troops and the embroiling in a war. I think the president genuinely would like to find a diplomatic solution to a lot of problems in the world. And I think for it's ironic because he's never served, but he seems to have a greater fear and trepidation of sending American troops into harm's way than any president in, re- in recent memory. Because I think he feels he's strong enough and his base is so behind him that he doesn't have to, he, he has a little bit more flexibility there. And yeah, Lindsey Graham is probably right. Maybe it would have deterred. Maybe it wouldn't have. But I also know that listening to Lindsey Graham and John Bolton, we'd be at war with almost everybody everywhere all the time. So and with troops committed to all over the, the world. Question, I guess my question for and you, I don't know if we'd be any safer. My question is for you: Is that the president goes out there and makes these big pronouncements and talks about he's going to obliterate and destroy these countries, but then he doesn't I, follow up. I think the president's operating by his own rule book, but I, I'm, I'm intrigued to see if the president's rule book... Listen, let's put it this way. The other rule book leads to a lot of blood and a lot of death and a lot of destruction. The president's rule book is a little different. I think after a good 30, 40 years of the other way, I'm intrigued to see what this does. The okay. less commitment of troops, the less commitment of widows and orphans is always should be... I, I, look, I totally hear that and I appreciate that. I got to go for the last word right now. And the one thing I did take out of watching that comical Corey Lewandowski hearing this week, mm-hmm. which is that the Democrats are totally overmatched when it comes to this stuff. They are unprepared for somebody who doesn't play by their rules. And they're saying, okay, here are the rules, and you have to go ahead and deal with and have to answer our questions. And he's basically saying, I'm not answering your questions. The I Democrats don't really are getting very, very bad advice. Very bad advice. And you know this. why they're getting and, bad advice? And the funny advice? thing is they caught him you know in a whole bunch of stuff. getting bad advice? Because a lot of the Trump policies are negatively impacting Trump voters. And instead of talking about issues right. like that, they're, they're focusing on things that genuinely no one cares about, nobody follows, and is will lead to nothing in the end. Okay, we are out of time for this week here on Spin Class, here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Joseph. See you next week.